1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Oh, it's outside out Say it with your chips. Looking to push tempo here,
0: the Pelicans. he will get there. Funny hops send a bucket. Hold that follow through. He That's right. This is what takes you to another level. What the Pell is up, everybody? This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. That's E-L-I-O-T-C-L-O-U-G-H. And before we get started for today, make sure you are subscribing and or following, depending on what platform you're listening to this podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a rate and review. That really helps us out. For today's show, we've got Louis Prejean of Unprompted at 103.7 The Game in Lafayette, Louisiana. Louis has been covering the Pels for a while, produces a couple different shows for 103.7 The Game, and does some excellent work covering the team. Great stuff on Twitter as well, at Louis Prejean. That's Louis, and then Prejean is P-R-E-J-E-A-N. If you want to check him out Over there, Lewis and I talk about who the Pelicans could and should hire as we move forward. Griffin, David Griffin moving off of Alvin Gentry just a few days ago, and the Pels will be looking. There's been some reports. That they'll go after a few different coaches, but there's also some other guys in the wings that haven't necessarily been talked about a whole lot. Lewis and I break that down, and I'm very excited for you to hear this one. One of my favorite podcasts so far. So here's my conversation with Lewis Prejean of 103.7 The Game in Lafayette. All right, we are joined by Louis Prejean, producer at 103.7 The Game in Lafayette and also the host of his own show every Saturday morning, Unprompted, which we just got done talking about it off air. Absolutely love that show name. Louis, how you doing today, brother? I'm good,
1: Elliot. You know, and we were talking before the show, and part of, like, when we were talking, uh, you got interrupted by the two dogs that were in my room. <laughs> I was trying to do my best to keep them quiet, but we did have one dog removed from the room thanks to my roommate. So this is really good. This is really good. Also, it's just been a long day because I watched Project Power, the the movie everyone's talking about on Netflix. I also watched that, and now I'm trying to decide if I had five minutes to go with a power, what would it be? And I've been trying to think about that all day. But Project Power, if you're interested in the movie, just go ahead and watch it. There you go. All right. What's your power? Look, the powers in the movie were, like, you blend in like a chameleon. Uh, you're bulletproof. Joseph Gordon-Levitt wears a Steve Gleason jersey throughout the movie, which we do have to have a discussion about, Elliot, whenever you watch the movie. I don't know if you're big yeah. into movies, but if you do watch this movie, look, Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't take this jersey off for anything. Anything. He's, he's wearing this, – this, the film was entirely in New Orleans – and he's not taking the Saints jersey off for anything, the Steve Gleason jersey. It's honestly respectable what he's doing in the movie. So I, I, my power, I'd say I'm always a big like, invisibility guy or reading minds. I know those are basic and always try to come up with good names, but uh, good powers, but that's
0: just what i go with. I like it. That's dope. Personally, I'd probably be like a super strength or like teleportation would be sweet too. Dude, that's
1: a good one. I do get scared about teleportation because... I don't know what happens in the time you leave the one
0: destination.
1: And th- it's that middle zone where you just exist in the
0: universe. Fair enough, Lewis. That's, that's kind of trippy. But we might not be able to actually have powers and be a dynamic duo off of the mic. But we'll try to do our best today on the mic. And, and very excited to have Lewis be joining the show talk about the the big news that we haven't been able to talk about quite yet as uh, it's it's Monday and we wanted to bring a podcast to you on Monday Alvin Gentry being relieved of his position as head coach of the New Orleans Pelicans pretty expected move finishes career in New Orleans um, with a 175 and 225 record which is about a 44 percent winning percentage and finding the playoffs just once in the 2017 2018 season where they made it to the semis after sweeping portland in the first round lewis what were your first thoughts once once the news broke of gentry being relieved of his job
1: i got the notification from andrew lopez and loge i think as we all did it's just it, it was no surprise if you followed this team closely even if you just watched the bubble performance i think a lot of non-new orleans pelicans fans that were interested in this team and watching zion you watch the Pelicans, and then you immediately notice that the coaching might be a problem here, the way they're playing, their effort. And I don't think – look, David Griffin said it wasn't necessarily the bubble performance that did it. Uh, it could have been months from now or um, months ago that the decision was made. But when it came across and I got the notification, I just I just wasn't surprised. I think a lot of us that follow the New Orleans Pelicans closely – we just kind of expected it. We actually talked about like coaching candidates before the news was announced and we were just preparing ourselves for what the franchise is going to be without ginger moving forward. So I think none of us were surprised by the move.
0: Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I mean the entire fan base, it was a foregone conclusion before it even happened. I tweeted about it uh, just maybe a week ago and was just like, what if it doesn't actually happen? And then, you know, as, as sportscasters, we try to kind of ruffle feathers here and there to get some attention. I was kind of doing that, if I'm going to be honest, but at the same time, it was never like this is 100% going to happen. We all kind of expected it, but at the same time, uh, you never know what's going to happen in, in today's NBA. And I would say if the head coach, or excuse me, the GM was still Dell Demps, I would have been, been much more concerned about how they were going to go forward. But uh, I trust uh, Griff and Trajan Langdon, Swin Cash to lead the way very well for the Pelicans. Now, in- I, I do,
1: I do want to say one thing about the, how, how you were just going off on tweets and just ruffling feathers. You know, I make a lot of jokes on Twitter, like a lot, uh, about the New Orleans Pelicans. And I hope people recognize that some of them are just jokes. And, and look, the, actually, when we talked about maybe Gentry stays with the team, you, you actually do have, did have to consider that in this season because of everything that happened and the short turnaround to next season. Do you actually let your head coach go? And then now if you look at an assistant, you have to wait till the postseason's done and then there's a short turnaround. So you know what? You, you might've been trying to like ruffle feathers, like what if we actually keep Gentry? But I think there maybe was some possibility, but I think everyone recognized it was done.
0: Now in the recent media availability that Griff had I think it was yesterday or a couple days ago he said that this might be the most he didn't say might be he said this would be the most attractive job in the NBA this offseason personally I would say it'd be the Nets you know they have KD coming back and Kyrie will be healthy and you know they still have Kara Silvert, Jarrett Allen, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie other guys on that roster that have plenty of talent not saying that this isn't the most attractive but Did you – would you fall into the same boat as me there? Would you think this is one of the most attractive jobs in the NBA? I did think about that. I actually tweeted, like, is
1: is the New Orleans Pelicans head coaching position the best one available? And you can make an argument, like, there's a difference between most attractive destination and actually the best one that's available in the NBA. I think it's all about what your expectations are for the team because you look at the Brooklyn Nets – and what they're doing in the bubble right now is they're working really hard under Jacques Vaughn, and they don't even have like five of their players on the team. And even the players that they did sign, like Michael Beasley and Jamal Crawford, didn't even really play in the bubble, and they were still able to go five and three. So that's a testament to just what they were able to do uh, in their effort and their coaching and under Jacques Vaughn. But when you look at the Brooklyn Nets job, and people in my comments were saying the Brooklyn Nets, and I do have to agree that just in terms of what they were able to do in the bubble with the effort and the pieces that they're showing uh, with Kari Silvert and Jared Allen. And then you're going to have Spencer Dinwiddie come back. You're going to have Kevin Durant. You're going to have Kyrie Irving. That might be the best one available. But, look, there's going to be expectations there. Uh, With Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, there were expectations that they're going to be an immediate finals contender, Eastern Conference Finals. When that coach steps in, even if it's John Vaughn, there's going to be real expectations there to win a championship. Whereas with the New Orleans Pelicans, you got a bunch of players that are like 22 and under. You know, we're just trying to develop some kind of culture and identity. You don't really have a lot of expectations to even go past like the first round of the postseason. Even just having a winning season would be a positive for a head coach. So I try to compare the Pelicans and Nets as in expectations. Actually, I would probably prefer the Pelicans job if I was a head coach, just simply because there's lower expectations and I have a lot of
0: talent to develop. Sure. And you got to factor in personalities too. You never know what you're going to get from Kyrie. KD can be a diva at times, you know, with all the burners on Twitter and how he reacts to fans and stuff like that. And you just like, I mean, like you mentioned, you have time to grow in New Orleans. There's no real divas on this roster, at least as it currently sits. We're expecting some some of the roster to be really turned on its head this offseason, but there's really no divas in New Orleans and you've got talent to develop. And, you know, it, it also depends on the coach as well, because if you're getting a first-time head coach, they're probably going to want to start with a fairly young franchise with a front office that hasn't been around for a super long amount of time and the Nets job is definitely going to be more tailored to NBA coaching vets
1: yeah and I do have a question about the conferences do we take them into account if you're a coach you have an opportunity to coach the Nets you get an offer from the Nets and you get an offer from the Pelicans which one do you choose if If you're looking at solely the conference, it's like, would you rather coach in the East where you have a better chance to succeed? uh, And, or would you rather coach in the West where you do have all of this talent to actually develop and there's no high expectation, but you look around the West and a lot of the the teams are just going to get better. So does conference matter when you
0: look at the head coaching availabilities? That's true. I mean, you look at, I mean, the suns just went off at the, at the bubble. I mean, the Grizzlies are going to be great going forward. I mean, they're not going to be you know, a title contender in the next year or anything like that, but they're a talented team. Trailblazers are going to be better because they're going to be healthy this coming season. I mean, obviously, you got the teams at the top, like the Lakers, the Clippers. I mean, OKC is going to be good for a little while, assuming CP3 will sign and stick around. Houston's obviously going to be a contender with James Harden. I mean, the list goes on and on, whereas the East is just really extremely top-heavy with the Raptors, the Celtics – and the Bucks, and I mean those those four five six seven eight spots then ooh, yeah that's true that, that makes it much more appealing to be a member of an east or, or a coach of an eastern conference team as they as they go forward into this coming season because I mean it's it's going to be not not easier but but less difficult to to make the playoffs to be successful in the playoffs
1: yeah. I, I kind of considered that this morning. I was just kind of thinking about you got to look at it from the potential head coaching perspective too. I always go back to Steve Kerr. Look, Steve Kerr had an opportunity to coach with the Knicks and then he had the offer from Golden State. That's an East versus West availability for a head coach and Steve Kerr made the right decision. It's yeah. <laughs> uh, like every head coach fails with the New York Knicks. They're just poorly run, but just look at the rosters. I mean, just look at the ro- – you had more talent with Golden State. You knew what you were going to adopt in Golden State. So it was a probably an easier decision going to the West rather than the East if you're Steve Kerr. But we're not talking about uh, going to the Knicks or going to the Pelicans because that would be an easier decision for yeah. a promising assistant. Like you would immediately choose the Pelicans. Uh, you would not choose the Knicks unless it came down to money. Uh, if it came down to money and you wanted more money, then you would probably go to the Knicks if that's what you were focused on. But, yeah, this is a different decision if you're a head coach. Say you get offered by the Nets and Pelicans. I actually say maybe a head coach is more attracted to the Brooklyn Nets, and that's where I see people coming from when they talk about the Nets are number one and most attractive uh, destination, and the Pelicans might be number two.
0: And who knows? uh, With the signing and the contract situation that Houston's going through, maybe that'll be an opening this offseason. How attractive is that? I mean, I think Mike DeAntoni is basically the perfect head coach for James Harden because they both solely focus on offense. I mean, Harden's been better in the bubble, but I think it'll be interesting to see what happens there. I know some Pelicans fans are calling for DeAntoni to be brought into New Orleans and we'll we'll talk about that. I'm sure you've looked into that a little bit. But to transition to our next topic here, is there anybody else you think besides, you know, Griff, Trajan Langdon, Swing Cash ownership that will have input? on who the next coach is. I, I saw something on Twitter today about, do you think that the front office is asking Brandon Ingram or Zion what they think about this next hire? What, what are your thoughts there? Oh, I don't, they don't
1: hold enough weight right now in their career. Like You ask LeBron what coach he wants. You probably ask James Harden what coach he wants. When you look at Mike Budenholzer, I mean, did they ask Giannis who he wanted? I'm not even sure. Like, I don't even know. I'm not that tied into the Milwaukee Bucks organization or what they did around the Mike Jason Kidd to Mike Boldenholzer situation. But I don't think Brandon Ingram and Zion hold enough weight. They're going to be core pieces, of course, moving forward. And you probably maybe want to consider what they might think about this. But I don't think they're going to hold much weight if they ask Zion and Brandon Ingram. I think this is
0: entirely up to the front office. I would... I would, for the most part, agree with you. I, I mean, I mean, Zion's played, what, is it, like 20, 27 20. games in his career yeah. now? Yeah. B.I. has had one all-star season. I mean, I'm assuming the Pelicans are going to offer him the max contract this, this offseason. But – They've only been doing it for, for how long? And, I mean, if there's any player, I think they would genuinely – I mean, I, I think they could get input from these two guys. Nothing crazy like, I demand this coach to be hired or something like that. However, I think if there is a player that they're going to go to and say, what do you think? And, and really take it uh, – I, I take what they have to say into consideration. might be J.J. Reddick. Just because he's a, however, 14-year vet, been in the league for a while. I know he's not going to stick around for a super long amount of time, but he is a trusted vet in this league.
1: That that's a problem too because like you mentioned do we know JJ Redick's going to like stick around he, that's true. he has hinted that JJ Redick uh wants to probably run it back with the Pelicans but if he runs it back one more season and we're talking about a coach that we want here for a long time uh maybe you ask JJ Redick because he's been in the league so long he's played under so many head coaches that you say, okay, what do you think what the roster looks like right now? And the coaches that you've been under, the teams that you've been on, uh, what do we do? But, again, I think this front office, they have to put the decision in their hands. Because the pieces that you would probably ask, like J.J. Reddick a vet, and Drew Holiday, a vet, we're having questions about Drew Holiday, too. Like, is Drew Holiday going to stick around? And do they even ask for his input if they're looking to move him I wouldn't say they move him before the season starts. Maybe they're looking at a mid-season trade if it doesn't work. But if they're already kind of looking to move Drew Holiday, do you even ask him? Then if you eliminate J.J. Redick and Drew Holiday, you're looking at these young guys. And do the young guys even know who would fit best with them? Like that, That's the question I have. That's why I'd say it's ultimately up to the front office. I don't think Zion and Ingram are experienced enough to even know what kind of coach
0: they would need. Right, I mean, Bi and the rest of the Lakers crew have only been under—is it two coaches? I think in their career, it was it was Luke Walton the entirety of their uh, tenure. So they've only been under two head coaches. Luke Walton still pretty young in his NBA coaching career, and then Alvin Gentry, who is a players' coach. So they they just don't have enough knowledge really to have a lot of input there, and I think it's re- like you said, it's really got to come down to the, the front office, especially David Griffin, who is so well-respected and well-trusted throughout the league. Now, before we get into names, potential coaches, players that we like, names that have been listed by the media, what are some characteristics that are you, that you're looking for in the next Pelicans coach? I've got a few here, but I'd like to hear what your thoughts are.
1: The characteristics I'm looking at is someone that really just develops an identity and culture uh, with this team. The the culture thing's big because the Pelicans just – I mean, there's no real culture that we can point to. Under Alvin Gentry, we can only say we played fast. Like I I really think when you – like we moved the ball, sure, we played fast. But we turned the ball over. I mean, how many years do we go back and say – the New Orleans Pelicans have turned the ball over like the most in the league. We, we go back way before, like, we go back before Alvin Dentry, when Monty Williams was here, you know, we turn, we always turn the ball over a lot. I think we really need culture and identity. And whenever I look at how these head coaches or these coaches, like assistant coaches or even these previous head coaches, how they speak about how they coach a team, like their coaching style, their approach, always look at how they talk about a team. Are they talking about, roles are they talking about the culture like what kind of identity they want to have i i I really want to look at how they talk about a team because you need culture and identity Uh, and just i mean i think we all all can agree toughness too Uh, you want a coach that can get on some players like it it was so frustrating hearing alvin gentry not come out in the postgame press conferences and say the effort was a problem he never acknowledged that effort was an issue it, and it's clear as day that effort was the was the problem. But he wouldn't say it in the bubble. We, we need we do need a player that can uh, a coach that can just call it for what it is and develop that
0: culture and identity. Exactly, I'm I'm very much with you on all of those points. Some of the things that really stuck out to me were defense. I mean, we'll get into to Vanderpool in a second, but there are some really big statistics on him. I mean, the Pels this year would go out and score 130 and then allow 135. <laughs> and the ball security is obviously a big issue with that. I think they averaged the, the most turnovers per game in the se- or over the season this year opposed mm-hmm. to the rest of the teams. I, they, they're either that or like 28th, 29th. It was real bad and the games where they were under 15 turnovers came few and far between so so that's that's a big issue is is not not necessarily the word ball security but being cognizant of the offense and where the ball's moving and stuff like that and then i would personally like to have a coach that has been around or has been the head coach of a team that has had a superstar preferably multiple on the same team, like a Ty Lu who's Coach Kyrie, Kevin Love, and LeBron James all at the same time. Looking, looking forward in the Pelicans' future, hopefully it's going to be Brandon Ingram and Zion, and then maybe another young guy steps up, or maybe they grab a guy in free agency that can step up and be a third star because we know in today's NBA you really have to have a third star to win an NBA title. And then two more things that are really related to what you said is responsibility when, especially when speaking to the media, because the media kept asking him uh, about Zion's bursts in the seating games in the bubble. And he kept saying, you'd have to ask the medical staff about that. You'd have to ask the medical staff about that. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Jocko Willink Lewis, but I'm reading this book by Jocko Willink, former Navy Navy SEAL, who talks about extreme ownership in leadership positions. You have to own everything and act as if you're responsible for everything. And I am a firm proponent of that. I think what he should have said to the media was like, that was my final decision. Ultimately, I got the information from the medical staff, but I made the decision and it was what we felt was best suited for the team and for Zion right now. Something to that effect. And then like yeah. you said, toughness. Be able to have the balls to say the, the things like, our effort was bad tonight, or or to even, you know, if Zion can't put the ball in the hole, put him on the bench, you know, or if he's really having a bad game. I mean, in, in Zion's career at Duke, his brief career at Duke, playing in pre, uh, pre-season or, or training camp or something that I, to that effect, Coach K put him on the second team because he wasn't being aggressive enough, and Coach K can do that because he has the pedigree. So I'd love to have a coach that not necess- they don't necessarily need that type of pedigree as coach K because he's one of the greatest coaches of all time in basketball, but somebody who will step up and say, look, you got to step it up. Otherwise, you know, you're going to be put on the second team or you're going to be sitting next to me on the bench or, or what have you.
1: Yeah. I, I do say that I wouldn't point to like the medical staff situation as something Gentry probably should have took accountability for because let's be honest, like Gentry, he's been in the league for so long uh, he, look, it was just out of his hands. Like that that situation, I really truly believe it was out of their hands. When you look at the previous medical staffs on uh, for New Orleans and how they handled injuries, it wasn't the best. They were going about it a different way, and probably a different way from what Alvin Gentry is used to. And I I, I truly believe because I mean, what is he supposed to take blame for something that was totally out of his hands? I I I wouldn't if I was Alvin Gentry. I'd be like, okay, yeah, it was the medical staff. Go talk to them. The problem was the medical staff wasn't available. Like put the medical staff in the post-game press conferences uh, and let them answer questions because all we're getting is stuff from David Griffin and uh, like Gentry about these short bursts. We truly don't understand any of that because we're not medical professionals or, you know, NBA trainers. So we don't understand any of that. We're only getting it from Gentry. So look, if I'm Gentry, I don't take blame for that, but I do agree when you talk about responsibility and accountability, Gentry probably should have came out on some of those nights and said, hey, our effort is just bad. Like, not, And not just say, well, the ball didn't go in this night. No, I mean, offense is never the problem with the Pelicans. When have we said, like, the offense was the problem for the Pelicans? Like, almost never. <laughs> we always point to the defense. And when you come out and you just say, well, shots didn't just fall. That's where I point to Gentry, you know, being responsible and hold, holding himself accountable in that way and holding – his players accountable. I'm sure, I'm sure he's, he does it in the locker room. I'm sure he does it back there, but I mean, you, you really got to put the message out there that you want to try something different or you need to be held accountable.
0: Sure. And, you know, in reference to the, the medical staff, I, I believe that it was out of his hands as well. I think, it's, it, to me, it might be a personal thing for me. This is what I look for in, in people that I'm around and, and specifically in myself. And the book's called Extreme Ownership for a reason. <laughs> but I, I think that just being in a leadership position, it's just saying, you know, I, I have my hands in everything. And he could have said, whether it was true or not, uh, just taking responsibility for everything as somebody who's at that position in the staff. Does that make sense?
1: No, I, 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 I get where you're coming from, uh, especially when you repeated the extreme
0: ownership. Right. I, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, time to get to coaches, man. This is a long list of names that we've heard, not just from the media, but people in our own circles with, for me, the, the guys in the bird rights and other play, people that we both interact with on Twitter are listing their, their preferred names being hired by the New Orleans Pelicans this offseason, who they'd like to see brought in and who they would definitely not like to see brought in. And one of the big there's there's a couple bigger names, but the first one we'll start with is Tyronn Liu, former NBA player, NBA champion as a coach and a player, a 128 and 83 record overall in his regular season coaching career, and then forty-one and twenty in the postseason. Lewis, how are you feeling about Ty Lu? Uh,
1: look, you did say earlier that you kind of hinted like you wanted Ty Lu for this team, right? Like you wanted someone that's coached a superstar. Yeah, you know, kind of. Superstar. I, I, you, you, you seem like you kind of want Ty Lu, but I'm going, on, <laughs> I'm going on like the opposite end. I don't think Ty Lu is right for this team. I do think he's right for the Brooklyn Nets because Ty Lu replaced David Blatt. And that was a David Griffin decision. So there is a relationship between Griffin and Lou and Gr- Griffin talks highly of Tyron Lou. Even when Lou departed the organization, he talked highly of him. Like he, he loves Ty Lou. So that's where we're like, okay, Ty Lu can coach the Pelicans. And he's a championship coach. He did well with personalities, but that's, a, that's the thing. When I go to Ty Lu. he was great at managing those personalities. And when you come to a team with all that talent, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, they're vets that are experienced and know how to win. And Ty Lue brought them there. Like Ty Lu was able to manage that. But those are guys that already knew how to win. And then he go, he gets off to the 0-6 start when he, whenever he loses uh, everyone but Kevin Love, essentially. So he gets off to the start, and then everyone's talking about, you know, the Cavs, are there, is their defense great? Can Tai Lu actually develop young talent, and you know improve and like improve young talent and experienced players? That that's a question because you look at the Pelicans right now; they're a team that doesn't know how to win games. And Tai Lu is best suited for a team like the Brooklyn Nets when you have a Nets team that went 42 and 40, went into the postseason. They're going into the postseason now, and then you have Kyrie Irving, who Tai Lu is familiar with. And then we have Kevin Durant, which I mean, you, you now you got all this talent: Spencer Dinwiddie, Kyrie you got this talent and vets that are experienced and know how to win games. That I think Tyloo fits better with the Brooklyn Nets than he does with the New Orleans Pelicans.
0: I I like the part. What I like about Tyloo is the fact that he coached an NBA championship team. that came back from that three-one uh, deficit, obviously. Coach LeBron James, coach Kyrie, coach Kevin Love. I like that. I like the fact that. Also, I mean, he's kind of known throughout the league as not necessarily being the best X's and O's guy. But Richard Jefferson, who played for Greg Popovich and also Ty Lue, said that Lue is one of the best X's and O's guys he's played for other than Coach Pop. I mean, I, I, I think ultimately I'd have to agree with you that I think Lue is a better fit for the KD, the Kyrie, the Nets, the uh, Nets squad that'll be back in 2020, 2021 because I think it was well established that he wants to be part of a veteran team. He wants to be a leader of a veteran team where he doesn't have to tell guys how to operate, how to win. I think that's what he desires as an NBA coach. But at the same time, looking at all the things that he has been good at, is he's been known to be a good assistant. He's been under Doc Rivers, who's arguably one of, not arguably one of the best, but one of the best coaches in the NBA. And that's pretty well known. So those are the things that I like. And I like the fact that he has the, the, the experience coaching, you know, LeBron, so he can step in and get immediate respect in the locker room from these guys having had those experiences. Is he my first choice? Probably not because I think the Pels, like you said, do need more of a developer, but I think Tyloo has some of the qualities that I wouldn't say oh my gosh, this is an awful hire. Why did they do this? Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. Look, I was about to say, I wouldn't be mad at a Tyloo hire.
1: I, just, I actually just think he's just better suited with the Nets. We talk about Alvin, Alvin Gentry. He was better suited when Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, Rajon Rondo won the team because they're vets and they were experienced. Like Alvin Gentry is at a stage in his career where he's not trying to teach people how to win games. He's not trying to teach vets um, he's not trying to teach rookies and new players how to win games and develop an entirely new winning culture. That's just not where he is. Remember Doc Rivers when he left Boston? He said, I don't, he basically was like, I don't want to rebuild. Because at his stage in his career, I'm not here to do that. Like, I'm, I'm here to win games now. And if you're Ty Lue, do you, he's highly coveted. I mean, we've read that Ty Lue is coveted by teams looking for head coaches. If you have an opportunity where you already won an NBA title, do you say, I'm not at the stage in my career where I go backwards or have the like the opportunity to go backwards and try to teach players how to win games. I can move forward and I already have a Brooklyn Nets roster that knows how to win games. If you're Ty Lu, I think you do prefer the Nets over the Pels, but I wouldn't be mad at a Ty Lue hire.
0: I think ultimately – Lou this offseason well right now he's obviously going to be focused on the Clippers and, and winning an NBA title this season but should D'Antoni decide to move on from the Houston Rockets that might be a position he'd look to as well so I don't think the Pelicans are necessarily at the forefront of his mind I would be honestly shocked if the if the Nets decided to retain Jacques Vaughn and and not grab Ty Lou this offseason
1: yeah that would be tough if they kept Jock Vaughn pass up on Tyloo. Jock Vaughn's done a great job with the Nets currently, but again, it's just he's coaching a team with nothing to lose. Like they're not really out here trying to prove anything. I- I'm watching the Brooklyn Nets game against Portland, and I'm just saying I don't know if Brooke- if Brooklyn knows they can lose a game or if they can win a game. All they know is we can dive on the floor, we can make effort plays. And if we make a couple shots, then we're in this game. Like I, they, They're playing with no, nothing to prove or nothing to lose. And when you coach like a team like that, I think it's easier than when you coach uh, teams with egos and more experienced players, and then you have those expectations. I don't think Jack Vaughn is, is probably going to stay around with the Nets. Um, when he coached Orlando, I mean, his best season was 23-59 in 2014. And the Orlando Magic, I mean – they don't know if they want to keep their talent on their team, the traded away Old Depot. Um, but, like, he, w- he was part of a franchise that was going through a rebuild as, uh, over there as well. I just don't think Jock Vaughn will stay with the Nets. And then I think Ty Lue probably will go to Brooklyn. Uh, but, man, there's, there's just so, there's so many names. <laughs> there's so many names, like you mentioned, because if Mike D'Antoni leaves Houston, that leaves another vacancy. And people are talking about Mike D'Antoni as well for the
0: Bells, which I'm
1: not exactly sure.
0: Yeah, me either. And we'll get to that at the bottom of the show. But Jock Vaughn is the next guy we'll talk about here. I just I don't think he would command the respect of guys like KD, like Kyrie, as as someone like Tyron Lou would. And this is obviously speculation, assuming that he would be let go by the Nets this offseason. And he did mention he was a head coach in Orlando, went just fifty-eight and one fifty-eight in his career there. Um, I mean, his hiring would be based off that coaching experience and then his experience coaching in the bubble and like towards the end of this season, which just isn't a lot. So I don't know how you can say that's our guy. I mean, he was a replacement for Kenny Atkinson after he was fired uh, partway through the season with the, with the nets. I just, I don't see Jacques Vaughn being the guy that the Pels go to. I just don't think that makes sense.
1: No, no, it doesn't make sense. And you need structure. Jacques Vaughn, when he was with Orlando in 2012, this is what he, he had to say, and obviously this is eight years ago, so, you know, you change a lot in eight years. But, I mean, we, we see with the Brooklyn Nets now, uh, guys have freedom to make decisions. They'll, he won't call a single play every time down the floor. The guys will enjoy the aggressiveness and the pace that they play on both ends of the floor. You need a coach that can bring some type of structure to a team. Uh, you just can't let guys freely make decisions unless you have players like Kyrie and KD. What Jock Vaughn's doing now with Brooklyn, again, like I said, nothing to prove, uh, nothing to lose whatsoever because you lost all these pieces in the bubble. Uh, Vaughn plays more of that up-tempo style. You need more structure, and Jock Vaughn's just not going to bring that to the Pels, and I don't think he would bring
0: it to the Nets either. Right. Third name that we've heard a lot of, and there will be a fourth coming up here after this one, is Jason Kidd, the former Nets and former (laughs) Yeah, Milwaukee Bucks head coach, a one through one eighty-three and one ninety overall regular season record in his career and nine and fifteen in the postseason. This is not the guy that I personally want at all. I mean, he's he's coached Giannis. He's played along with Dirk and, and Vince Carter and some other great players in the NBA reputation is one of the best passers in the, in the history of the NBA. And he's also known as an asshole. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. you no, know, the, the Pels, the Pels and that that's been the the saying on a ton of podcasts on, on Twitter is the Pelicans need an asshole. I don't think they're, I don't think their asshole is Jason Kidd, Lewis.
1: No, the, my favorite thing about Jason Kidd. the only positive thing I will say really creative timeout opportunity. When I think that, Where was he? I forgot. Well, I think maybe he was with Milwaukee. But he runs out of timeouts late in the game. He has a cup of water with him. Like, we've all seen it. And then he bumps into the ref, spills the water, and they get a timeout late game because they need to clean up the floor. And you get that timeout there. That's how you manufacture some timeouts. That's the only positive thing, like, I'll say about Jason Kidd. Sure, the best thing he did in Milwaukee was put Giannis – as a primary ball handler, he put the ball in Giannis's hands. That's the best thing he did. Like, when you hear about Jason Kidd, he's a great, like, players, like, relations coach, and sure, he is an a hole and everything, but, like, uh, he look, Jason Kidd, any, it's the same thing with Mark Jackson. And I did a thread on Twitter. I purposely left off Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson, purposely, because I do not want them. No one can make a good case for Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson when it comes to structure, X's and O's. I asked someone, uh, because I'm genuinely curious about Mark Jackson, like or, or Jason Kidd, what could they bring to the Pelicans? And someone put it, uh, two things come to mind, toughness and swag. All right, cool. Um, but look where it got Kidd and Mark Jackson, where they were both replaced by coaches who had more of a system and they were able to succeed with the same, with almost the same roster. Uh, that the kid and Mark Jackson had, yeah, it's cool to have toughness and swag, and you yell at your players or you, you do this. But I want, I want some of that, but I want more of a structure and a system for the Pelicans team. That's why I'm, I'm not. But like, we could talk about Mark Jackson and we could talk about Jason Kidd, but I really want to discount, uh, discount them. I think it's their agents putting them as the favorites for any head coaching job. Like they're just putting their names out there. I, I don't believe. Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson?
0: I don't either you know I I wouldn't have been surprised I was I wasn't hoping but I was kind of hoping that the Knicks would hire Jason Kidd because they thought they could get Giannis after his uh (laughs) going into his free agency after this coming season but oh man I, I just that would have been such a Knicks move and I just don't see kid being a head coach of a contending team ever again in his career. Mm-hmm. And 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 Mark Jackson's been off the sidelines for how many years now? Almost 7. And I mean there's a reason the, the the Warriors made that transition. I was confused at that point in time, but it was just so clear that it was the correct decision at that point in time. And you know, toughness, we just talked about replacing gentry, getting a coach with a little bit of toughness and some gall and and taking responsibility, but for the most part, toughness and swag, you can leave that to the players. You don't need that in your coach.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, look, the coach can bring that, like, energize the players and give them that. Like, we would have loved to see uh, Gentry do that with the Pels, like, energize them. But come on, guys, come on. Mark Jackson, he eliminated himself from, in my mind, he eliminated himself from the Pelicans head coaching position when it was Zion's debut and the first five minutes he comes out and he calls him fat and he calls him yeah. out of shape. I think the Pelicans need to run that tape back and say, Hey, maybe he isn't like the right guy for Zion. Sure. He's, he's probably like, he's saying everything we've said about Zion in the bubble. Like he's a little <laughs> out of shape. Zion's Zion quote unquote out of shape. Like he's in tremendous shape. Like when you compare him to us, the general public, he's just not in game shape. But I think Mark Jackson eliminated himself from any head coaching position for the Pels when it was the first five minutes of Zion's debut, and he called him fat. That, that, that did it for me. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not believing in Kader or Jackson.
0: Not to mention, Jackson also said that he would take John Morant over Zion. So just that just would not be a good start.
1: Okay, I, I do have a problem with this. And I'm sorry if this is like going off the – if Memphis had the one pick, they're taking Zion. Like, what are, what are we saying? Like, like, what are we doing? Like, what, what do we do? What do we do on Twitter? Like, what do we do online? I mean, John Morant does have a better rookie season. We can all acknowledge that. He had a better rookie season. Uh, we don't know about durability or anything like that. People are questioning John Morant's landing. People are questioning Zion's knees. Like, I mean, we're all
0: over the place. But John, like, played, John he, played more games. That's like the edge that he has.
1: Yeah, but if we're being real, Memphis is taking Zion if they get the one pick. Yeah. No, if you put any team back in that draft and you put them at the one pick, you get criticized for not taking Zion. You say you threw away your franchise by not taking Zion. Look, any team that would have had the number one pick, I think it's revisionist history when we look at the two rookie seasons. Revisionist history only happened like a year ago. Like, how quickly (laughs) do we forget? How quickly do we forget about this? Like, if any team was put in that position, you're you're taking Zion. Just because John Morant – had it, more durability throughout the season, and he did lead his team to some wins. We're, we're forgetting that Memphis would have took Zion. Like, no doubt. Uh, we can't how, – how quickly do we forget? It was only a year ago. Come
0: on, let's be realistic. It, sorry, sorry. We, no, we can- you're great. I love it. This is – I mean, Jaw was, ja was great, but he's coming from – you're telling me you're taking a player from Murray State, number one overall, over a guy from Duke? whose name is Zion freaking Williamson with that type of tape? Like, okay, I don't think so. As you you well, said it. It's revisionist history is what it is. We live in Twitter culture. That's what we're living in. Is Jaws better than Zion? You should have taken him number one overall. Did the hells know that he was going to have that meniscus injury? I don't think so. And, no, no, I mean, no. ugh, it's yeah, I, I'm with you. We don't That's need serious. to spend well, the entire podcast doing this, but I, I'm definitely with you.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. I just, you know – I was what was a Friday night. I was just watching Duke Zion highlights and look, I got really depressed. Totally different player. He looks explosive. But tell me, you look at those Duke Zion highlights and you're not choosing that guy. Number one, overall, uh, you're not choosing him even it, even for the revenue. Right. Like you're choosing him for the revenue, too let's be realistic we're choosing Zion because he puts butts in seats as well that's how exciting and explosive he was in college that's how much national attention he got in college so if you're a franchise and you're saying we have we had one of the worst records in the NBA last year we get to pick number one we're choosing Zion because we need more energy we need an energized fan base as well and you look at the Duke
0: Zion highlights I mean um, sorry
1: all right we're talking heck of
0: <laughs> okay Fourth option that has been put out in terms of replacements for Alvin Gentry in the head coaching position in New Orleans is Kenny Atkinson, former head coach in Brooklyn for the Nets before being let go this season, mostly because of the decision to move forward and try to win now with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Kenny's overall record in Brooklyn was 118 and 190, definitely not indicative as to the type of coach he is, and then one and four in the postseason when they did make it not this year, but the year prior with uh, D'Angelo Russell on the roster and and making that big step with all of the players that he has participated in developing in Brooklyn. Lewis, how are you feeling about Kenny Atkinson? Should the, play, should the uh, Pelicans bring him in?
1: I think Kenny Atkinson should be towards the top of the list uh, for the Pels because, all right, let, let's look at Kenny Atkinson real quick. 42-40, and 40, uh, they made the postseason. That was his best year with Brooklyn. And, look, they probably overachieved that season. We It was a bunch of guys, like, we don't even know. If you're, I mean, hardcore NBA like us, you're like, yeah, heck yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie is good. <laughs> like, they're running guards out there. They're just attacking the basket. In the postseason, they were, they were doing great. Like, we all fell in love with Brooklyn. Gets fired 28 and 34, uh, starts of the year. And look, I mean, six games under 500, you're missing Kyrie and KD. That's not even bad. Like, you bring in all these pieces, 20, you're only six games under 500. That's not bad. But I'm sure Kyrie and KD said, This is not the guy that's taking us over the top. Like, maybe Kanae Atkinson is not taking us over the top, but we really don't know. I, I'm reading stuff from players like Dinwiddie in his fourth season under Kenny Atkinson say like we buy into him because he buys into us. That's important. David Griffin mentioned that in his press conference the other day, the buy-in like the words buy in and you have former players in a season where they overachieved and won 42 games. They're talking about, we bought into him. I mean, that's what you want to hear if you're David Griffin is is about the buy-in and can Kenny Atkinson coach superstars? We actually don't know that. We know he could develop some players. And what if he does develop Zion Ingram into just superstars? What if he does develop them in, into superstars? Well, we have the unknown what he can do with superstars. Well, now we we're, we have that promise. We, we say Kenny Atkinson led us to know how to succeed and we can see how they can su- succeed with Kenny Atkinson's development. And then now since we're developed, What can Kenny Atkinson do from there? There's a nice little unknown when you're talking about Atkinson. So I do like Atkinson. He was poor in his clutch time coaching, which uh, that's key because the Pelicans, again, don't know how to win games, and they fall short in the clutch time. But, again, I like the the little bit of unknown with Kenny Atkinson. We know he can develop players, but what can he do once they're developed? So I think Pelicans look at him. They say he buys in, and you like that unknown – Uh, once he takes us to where we need to be, like what can we do moving forward with that? I like the unknown there.
0: I do too. I like, here's the thing. I'm going to list off a bunch of players that we would have basically no idea who they are except for maybe one without Kenny Atkinson at the helm in Brooklyn. Karis LeVert, Jarrett Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, and the one name we we would know otherwise because he was picked so high is D'Angelo Russell. And all of these Mm -hmm. guys became relevant names because of Kenny Atkinson's development capabilities. I don't know if you know Nolan Jensen and at N Jensen NBA, he is the, the goat in terms of, of Nets coverage. He's done a lot of really good okay. stuff for them. He is, he is in love with Joe Harris for reasons. You know, we all know he's a great NBA <laughs> three point shooter. I also okay. like the connection that Kenny Atkinson already has with Trajan Langdon, having Langdon been uh, part of the front office in Brooklyn. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Langdon pushed for him, obviously, with with Griffin. And this may also increase the likelihood the Pells go and make a trade with the Nets. And this was a conversation in our in our group chat with with the bird rights was maybe they push for Drew to be sent to Brooklyn and be that third guy with the Brooklyn Nets next to KD and Kyrie and maybe the Pels get an exchange, uh, maybe Dinwiddie or or Karis Levert and, and Jarrett Allen with some picks or something like that. And and I would love Dinwiddie or Levert being, uh, especially Levert being a scorer with the second unit in mm-hmm. New Orleans. And then of course, Jarrett Allen being a guy who's a little bit further along than Jackson Hayes and won't necessarily be a franchise cornerstone or anything like that, but could definitely fill a role of being a a uh, rim protector and a guy who can get rebounds on a very regular basis.
1: Yeah. That, that Brooklyn trade that's been proposed to me. Like, what do we, what do we do if we say like Brooklyn wants to trade Jared Allen and Karis Levert? I, I immediately go to Jared Allen fits perfectly. Like we love that he protects the rim. Uh, we we love someone that can protect the rim and just be an interior presence for the team. I just go to Karis Levert. Does Karis Levert, want to stagger minutes with Brandon Ingram. Like, I don't want to take the ball out of Brandon Ingram's hands because I think that's the next step, is making Ingram more of a primary ball handler and kind of running some offense through Zion. I think that's the next step for New Orleans and what they should do. But I don't know if Karis LeVert would be okay in his role with New Orleans. You just need, again, that buy-in. And say you get Kenny Atkinson. He's worked with Karis LeVert. He can buy into the organization. And we haven't even touched on, and you just touched on it, the relationships and is how important is that? Like we know Ty Lue has a relationship with David Griffin, but Trajan Lightning has a relationship with Kenny Atkinson as well. So uh, that, that could play a role in this
0: too. Definitely. Definitely. I also like the fact that Atkinson has been under both coach Mike Budenholzer and, DeAntoni as well so getting some learning experiences from both of those coaches both established coaches in the NBA not NBA championship coaches but guys who have been around the league and have done some excellent work with their teams wherever they have been now if I'm to pick from any of these names I'm probably going to go Atkinson do you have a preference of the ones we
1: discussed so far I think Atkinson is the best one so far Definitely. But I have a name in mind. Uh, someone's at the top of my list right now. I don't know if, we'll, if you'll mention him, but I do have one at the top of
0: my list. Well, well, we'll go into our favorites here in a second. There's one more that we've talked a little, that I've heard a little bit about in this group, and, and I'm, I'm intrigued to hear your thoughts. He's been at the forefront in terms of the betting numbers who will be brought in. Uh, Mark Jackson's one of them, but we're not talking about him because neither of us want him. <laughs> uh, and this other guy is <laughs> Ime Udoga. Uh, he yeah. is currently a uh, assistant coach with the Philadelphia 76ers, spent some time in San Antonio as well. Former NBA player, played under Phil Jackson in Los Angeles and was with the San Antonio Spurs when they won an NBA title in 2014 as well. He also played a key role in uh, LaMarcus Aldridge's decision to join the Spurs in 2015 because of their relationship that they had in Portland. So a guy who's been around the block, your thoughts on him.
1: Yeah, Ime Udoka knows he's been look, like like you just ran it down, he's been part of teams that know how to win. I mean, comes from the pop coaching tree, which everyone brings up like the pop coaching tree. I'm not going to discredit the pop coaching tree because a lot of great assistants are there. Um, it's like the Sean McVay thing. <laughs> I mean, obviously difference in age, but like, right. We're talking about like the, the trees of coaching where Sean McVay, he had that boom where, okay. Who's like Sean McVay. Who's, <laughs> known, who's known Sean McVay. Who's, who's had a five minute conversation with Sean McVay. Uh, we want that guy. But the pop coaching tree is well established, especially when you look at Adoka because he was there for like seven seasons, part of that 2014 title team. Um, And he just recently talked about being a head coach back in August 2019 where someone asked him straight up, if you got the opportunity to be a head coach, what is something you would want your team? Like how would you want your team to look? And he he talked about all the things that we're touching on. He wants a tough physical aggressive team that they play together you know they they're all there for one purpose like that's this kind of stuff that he talks about and that's the kind of stuff i'm sure the front office would love to hear and that pelicans fans would want to hear he's been part of just systems as well i always go back to system because we truly need a structure and system in new orleans people need to know where their roles are and we can't just be out here just running up and down the court for no reason and trying to put the ball in the basket uh so when you look at Adoka, I mean, Ben under Popovich, he's current, current lead assistant coach for the 76ers, managing uh, those personalities down there. So I do like, I do like Adoka as an option, though, um, just simply because he knows what it takes for a team and scheme, uh, but he also sounds like he has a vision for a team because he wants a physical and aggressive team.
0: One way or another, I think Udoka is going to get a job this off season, whether it's I with the so bulls or not.
1: But. I think it's the Bulls. I think maybe the Bulls. If he go, if he does get a head coaching job, I talked about Ty Lu to Brooklyn. That seems likely. Emine Udoka seems like if he fits right into Chicago um, because he he won't be as hard on the player. He'll have a better relationship. Like. It's harder, it's hard not to have a better relationship with the players than like Jim Boylan, like that's easy to do. Like, And I think Adoka brings the same physical, aggressive style that Chicago loves and Tom Thibodeau and then Jim Boylan, they like those kind of head coaches. But I think Adoka's more like he seems just like a more system guy, like more, he feels like he's not going to just lose his cool like a Jim Boylan. So I think if any team like Adoka gets a head coaching opportunity, I think it's Chicago.
0: I saw an article when I was putting, you know, statistics and everything together for this podcast that said he would be a perfect fit. And I would say so as well. I think following, following Jim Boylan won't be hard for anybody, but the thing is too, when you look at Kenny Atkinson, uh, he's been a, a name that people will say he doesn't want to wait for the Pelicans to do all their hiring and stuff like that. He just wants a job, so he'll take the job in Chicago. But Chicago just kind of looks ugly right now. I mean, the the spotlight was put on him, especially during the the showing of the last dance, because, I mean, we've just seen mismanagement of talent and and just – poor coaching and it's just circulated through through Chicago the last basically 20 years they've had good teams obviously they had Derek Rose Joe Kim Noah those teams but Chicago isn't what they once were and I think bringing in a guy like this who's more personal who's who's better with players and but also has that structure and has a specific way he wants to lead a team would be a perfect combination to follow Jim Boylan
1: yeah and like it probably would be good for the Pelicans, too. Just, I, I think Adoka probably looks at Chicago and says, you know, that's, I mean, he's currently in the East right now with the 76ers. He's probably looked more at Chicago than he has looked at New
0: Orleans. And he says, all right, Chicago's a good fit. Now, transitioning from, from coaches that have been named by sources that are in consideration for the job, we'll look at some of our favorites between Lewis and I, Lewis, you said you got a favorite. Who is it? I do. Okay, so I did this thread, and people love Banterpool, right? I mean, I'm not mad at
1: Banterpool either. Uh, I do want to kind of touch on him. I'm looking at Darvin Ham. Like, Dar- I'm, I'm reading stuff about Darvin Ham. I've listened to some interviews, again, from eight years ago uh, when he was coaching the D League. But I'm still watching it. I'm still watching those interviews. Just how he talks about the team is, is what I would want. And a head coach. All right, so Darvin Hamm, top assistant coach for Milwaukee right now. I mean, come on, Milwaukee has the best record in the NBA, and large credit to Mike Budenholzer. But he was also assistant coach in Atlanta for five, six seasons, and that was with Mike Budenholzer as well. Uh, Okay, so he's been under Mike Budenholzer, which if if you said, hey, the Pelicans can have Mike Budenholzer, you would take that in a heartbeat because he's going to at least push you to like 45 wins. Darvin ham has been around Mike Boonehoser for a while. We'll talk about the pop coaching tree. Uh, Darvin Ham, the Mike Boonehoser co- coaching tree might be strong. When he coached the D-League team eight years ago, again, eight years ago, and it's actually called the D-League at this time instead of the G-League, the way he talks about, like, clearly defi- – he wants clearly defined roles. He wants, like, accountability. Uh, the players, like, have to know that I know they have egos. I know they're in this, especially in the D-League. They're just trying to prove that they can be. Uh, they're just trying to prove that they can be in the league, so it's hard to buy into a team. So Ham makes people buy into a system, and he's under a head coach that makes you buy into a system and takes you to that next level. And we're looking at. I prefer a aspiring head coach that's an assistant right now over previous head coaches, and right now the like top aspiring head coach that's an assistant is Darvin Ham. Like I I I'm right now. This could change, but Darvin Ham, I'm going with Darvin.
0: So if you had a choice between Kenny Atkinson and Darvin, you'd you'd take Darvin. That okay? That's tough, right? Because
1: Kenny Atkinson, I do say like I don't want a previous head coach, and there's some nice unknown with Kenny Atkinson. I you know what? Yeah, I probably want Darvin Ham over Kenny Atkinson. Just g- I want give me something a little new. Like we don't know. Like Darvin Ham could fail. sure. And I might change my mind two hours from now. I'm staring at the ceiling in bed. I'm looking up. I'm like, I went on a podcast and I said, I don't want Kenny Atkinson over Darvin Ham. And then the Pelicans hire Kenny Atkinson. And I go through a lot of scenarios. But right now, in this moment, I'm very emotional. I wear my heart on my sleeve. Darvin Ham. Uh, I'm on the Darvin Ham train.
0: You heard it here first. Louis Prejean from the Darvin (laughs) Ham train. I like Darvin Ham, too. I like his history of being a former NBA player, being an assistant under Bud, being an assistant with the Lakers in 2011. This this would be a guy who, again, like you said, hasn't been an NBA head coach before. But given the list of guys that have been former assistant coaches, I I like Ham a lot. Um, The other guy that you've mentioned that I like a lot as well is David Vanterpool. I mean, look at the list. This was a tweet by David Fisher, our David Fisher from the Bird Rights. This is kind of an iffy stat for for a reason, but I have another stat to back it up from from David is that Portland was ranked 16th in defense last year with him, and they're ranked 28th this year without him. The reason the the stat is a little iffy is that Nurkic and Collins were on the roster last year healthy, and they weren't around this year, and those are two two big rim protectors for the Trailblazers. But Minnesota brought him in, and they had their best defense relative to the rest of the league since 2013-2014. So, got to give credit where it's due. I think it's, it's clear that he has some knowledge on the defensive end that makes teams better. So, I, I like that a lot. Obviously, that's a big need for the Pelicans. And also, when he left to go to Minnesota, Damian tweeted out, Damian Lillard, and was, was very upset about Vanterpool leaving to go to Minnesota, Vanterpool mm-hmm. spent seven years with the team, and I think if you have that type of relationship with a bona fide superstar, that's probably a good thing.
1: No, and that I'm glad you mentioned that because doing my research on these assistant coaches, and again, I'm really just looking at assistant coaches. I, I'm reading like he, he was nicknamed, he was actually referred to as the Dame Whisperer. <laughs> you look at what Damian Lillard is doing now and how he was upset that Vanderpool left Portland, and you're we're, we're referred to as the Dame Whisperer. Like, if he comes to New Orleans and he's known to unlock Zion or unlock Ingram because he's the B.I. Whisperer or he's the B. Easy Whisperer, he's the Zion Whisperer, the Xanos Whisperer, yeah, like, we would be ecstatic because – he doesn't have, like, experienced head coaching superstar players and veteran, like, experienced players, but he's had great relationships with superstar players like Damian Lillard. And so that that's important, too, because you want Zion or an Ingram or one of your core pieces to have a great relationship with your head coach. Um, so that's an important thing to know about Vanderpool. Also important to know, like, someone who was in my mentions when I, when I put David Vanderpool out there, was stay away. Minnesota fans love David Vanderpool already. So that, that's, that's one name to look out
0: for. Okay, the other two names that I have listed here that have been talked about throughout you know, Twitter and, and other Pelicans fans, other people in the Pelicans media, and, and we'll just get your reactions. And, and I have some lists of their accomplishments here, but Jerry Stackhouse and David Fisdale. Those are, those are two big names that have been talked about, Fisdale being the former Memphis and New York Knicks head coach, and Jerry Stackhouse being an 18-year NBA vet, won an NBA D-League championship with the Raptors affiliates, and then was an assistant with the Grizzlies in 2018-2019, the current Vanderbilt head coach, and he's also on a six-year deal with them. So I don't know if you've had any misgivings about them or or don't like either of these guys being brought in by New Orleans or, or do like them, but... I would probably – I think Stackhouse should just stick with Vanderbilt personally, and I think Fisdale has gotten a bad rap because his tenure with both of these teams as head coaches has been so short. So it's tough to get a grip on Fisdale. I know LBJ, I know D. Wade love Fisdale and other stars in the league love Fisdale, but he's gotten kind of a bad rap as as he's been a head coach in the NBA. Yeah, uh, we'll start with Stackhouse – You know how tough it would be
1: to coach one year at Vanderbilt and then leave for the NBA? When you look at college coaches, oftentimes they stick around because they want to build something. Like they want to build uh, on a program. You know, a lot of players come and go, but you want to build on a program. The thing that's holding me back from Stackhouse, even though he was great in the G League, like he was G League coach of the year, coached the team 39 and 11, and led them to the 2016-17 G League Championship. So he, he can he can kind of win at like that level, that developmental level. But what's keeping me back from just buying in on Stackhouse, if you will, is that you coach Vanderbilt for one year, and then you leave the next when you really are trying to build a program. I do like that Stackhouse, whenever he acknowledges coaching, is that, it's based on personnel. You just can't do a one size fits all thing. You look at Alvin Gentry; he goes in, he has his system. He says, "All right, one size fits all." We're running fast. Well, you got Derek, Derek Faber starting. I don't think how I don't know if you can run the fastest offense of all time with Derek Favors as your starting center. Like one size doesn't fit all. So I like Stackhouse acknowledging that a lot of it's based on personnel. But what's holding me back is that. Coach Vanderbilt one year, can, does he leave the next? That's a little tough. And then we go over to He some short stints with Memphis. And I don't even take away anything from the New York Knicks. Anybody that's coached the New York Knicks, Knicks I don't count that tenure uh, because D'Antoni coached there and, you know, he, he didn't do well. A- everyone that's coached the Knicks in the past whatever years hasn't done well. So I don't put a lot of stock into their time with the Knicks. So I won't put stock in Fisdale's time. Fired after he went 43-9. He went 43-9, by the way, when like Conley and Gasol were hurt a lot of the time. Like he, his, his key people were hurt in, the, in that season, goes 7-12 and 12 the next year, gets fired. Hard to put some stock into Fizdale right now. So maybe you look at what he's done with the Grizzlies, like the grit and grind era, and you look at that and you say, okay, we would like this kind of coach that has brought grit and grind, and we want that. I'm not like, I like the name Fisdale. I like David Fisdale as a name because you say it and I'm like, Hey, actually that's not bad. But I think looking at the other possible assistant uh, to head coaches and I think there are better names out there.
0: I agree. I I wouldn't mind it. I mean, you kind of hit it on the head is I I don't think it'd be a bad hire by any means, but I think there are better options out there. I like Fisdale and I think he has the opportunity and he'll get plenty of calls this off season for interviews. I'm sure. But I, I think that there are better names out there. And I think if my my final choice had to be made, it would probably be Atkinson followed by mm-hmm. Vanterpool and then Ham. Or maybe Emei Yoka. but I think uh, he'll be a great fit in, in Chicago or with another younger team.
1: Yeah, and I do want to touch on somebody. I don't know if you're going to get to this, and I'm sorry if you do. But um, while we're just talking about other coaches – Becky Hammond has to be mentioned as well. Uh, assistant for the Spurs since 2014, WNBA All Star. Like NBA players, respect the WNBA and what they do over there. And like their fundamentals, the way they play the game, their fundamentals are way better than NBA players. So she coached the Summer League title in 2015. I think with Becky Hammond, and people do like the name, would probably like that, especially with New Orleans looking for some spark. Becky Hammond, I think, might be the heir apparent for the for San Antonio, if anything. So I, I do discount the Becky Hammond to New Orleans simply because I think San Antonio is trying to keep Hammond around to maybe take over for Pop.
0: Yeah, I – it's just – I, I hope I'm not taken in a way that I don't intend to be taken, which I'm sure is going to happen because, you know, Twitter – but I just don't, I just don't see it. I I don't have any particular, you know, reasons why I don't, I don't see any necessarily like weaknesses, but it's just, maybe I'm caught in a different era. Maybe I'm not as progressive as the rest of the league, you know? And I, and again, I don't intend any, any negative. I have nothing negative to say about her, but it's just almost like my mind can't comprehend it. Maybe I'm maybe I'm old school, but I, 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 I don't know.
1: Well, how old school is reading a book with, the title extreme ownership
0: i don't know how <laughs> okay how
1: old school is, i don't know I, I i don't know but like i i get your point i just think this is a front office that hired swin cash you know in the front office role so they they're looking to be progressive right this is a franchise that's trying to be be refreshed and have a different culture they hire Swin cash so you you kind of look at it and you say I mean, there's a case to be made for Becky Hammond, especially the respect that she has from NBA players. But I I don't see it with New Orleans simply because it seems like the Spurs are really trying – they've given her a lot of opportunities for any kind of head coaching experience with San Antonio that I think she gets in the room for interviews with other teams. But ultimately, it feels like she's
0: going to take over for San Antonio. I would agree with that too. Maybe that's maybe that's part of my my thinking. My subconscious saying she's got she's just seems she. I mean she's been around Pop for so long. She's on that staff with Tim Duncan, who's been a name that people are talking about and taking over other teams. But I, I definitely would have to agree with you. I think the Spurs are trying to cultivate her as as the heir apparent to Pop. Elliot Tim Duncan, no. No, no
1: to a head coach right now, right? I mean, he just became an assistant.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't I, want him for the Pelicans, but I mean, it, I've yeah. seen him in, in articles as as being a guy that could be brought in. I'm not saying it. I'm just saying I've seen it. No, yeah, exactly. I
1: I see it too. I'm just like, I mean, yeah, I mean, 20 years in the NBA, one of the best power forwards of all time. You can make the case it's the best. And it's just like, I mean, he just became an assistant, guys. I mean, yeah. Yeah, sure, he was under Pop, but, like, I mean, I think he just needs a little bit more experience before you jump right into a head coaching position.
0: I, I agree. I, I think he could stand – I mean, assuming Pop comes back and coaches for <clears throat> a year or two more and Duncan stays on the Spurs staff and maybe, maybe he moves on to another team and becomes uh, an associate head coach or something like that. But, I, I, I mean, he's just not – I mean, he doesn't have a whole lot of fire to him that we've seen in a long time. He's just kind of a soft-spoken guy, as far as we know, and just very cordial. And I, I, maybe he, maybe he'll be a great head coach someday, but I, I don't think he's there yet. Any other names that that you're thinking of off the top of your head, or or that you've done some research on that you think could possibly fill the role, or that you would want to fill the role, Lewis?
1: I I, I did have someone shout out to Logan, send me a message on Twitter, and he he had he had a list, and some did include college coaches and Euroleague coaches. And, Logan, again, if you're listening, uh, I will look into those coaches. I do not believe New Orleans goes completely out of the way and says, let's go for a yearly coach. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see that. May, they could surprise. Another name that is an assistant right now is uh, Stephen Silas, longtime head coach uh, Paul Silas. He's the son, current assistant for Dallas. Uh, he was assistant coach for uh, Charlotte for eight years part of the 43-win team in 2013, had two playoff appearances as an assistant there in Charlotte. He actually interviewed for the Hawks head coaching vacancy in 2018. The players talked highly of him in Charlotte. Uh, he had a relationship with Steph Curry. I, I don't see Stephen Silas, you though know, he's been around the game for so long that you're like, okay, he, I mean, he has a lot of experience in the NBA, so maybe we go with Stephen Silas, but It doesn't. It doesn't feel like a name that's emerging. So I I really wouldn't say Steven Silas. I wouldn't say a yearly coach or a college coach. People said Jay Wright. I don't think Jay Wright has expressed, you know, just two years ago that he wouldn't want to leave Van uh, Vanderbilt. So, uh, you know, besides that, Steven Silas, yearly coaches, college coaches. I think we nailed the potential head coaches. I, I I just don't. Ellie, I just don't want to be shocked and. I hope they're reading Twitter just a little bit. And (laughs) they they say Pelicans fans, they definitely do not want Jason Kidd. That's – it's really – Jason Kidd and Mark Jackson are just the two names I really don't hope that they choose, and that's the direction we go in.
0: If I can add to the list of guys that I definitely don't want to be brought in as head coach for the Pelicans, it's uh, Mike D'Antoni. I have no desire to have Mike D'Antoni be the head coach of the Pelicans at all. that's a
1: a good point that's a good point look he runs a fast-paced style okay what are we just going to run it back like will Mike D'Antoni teach he's not in a we he's not in a space in his career where he comes to a young team and tries to teach them how to win and he he has that one system where it's fast-paced we just experienced this with Alvin Gentry and you say let's bring in Mike D'Antoni we're, I, I I almost guarantee it. We would have the same exact problems with Mike D'Antoni that we had with Alvin Gentry. We cannot go unilateral or lateral. I don't know the exact definition, but we can't say we can't say stagnant like and just do the same thing. It would be the, I guarantee it would almost be the exact same thing if we hire Mike D'Antoni. I would say Adrian Griffin too has been a name assistant coach for the Toronto Raptors. He got to head coach one game in the bubble, and they were able to win that. Um, so, Griffin, Adrian Griffin has been floated out there and he's talked about kind of like his, his, uh, his style to coaching and his, and his approach. Uh, it, it, so, it sounds good. He says, you know, you can play perfect defense. They're going to come off screens, pin downs. Uh, he said that about the Warriors. You could do everything right. They're still going to score. Uh, you just have to have the fortitude. Uh, keep coming back. Keep coming. You know, just coach speak, whatever. But, like, Adrian Griffin's a name that's flown out there, but I don't see that.
0: I have looked into Adrian Griffin a little bit and I like him. Uh, I actually had an interaction with Jake Madison on Twitter who said there's been some, actually some reports of domestic violence with, with Griffin. So I am personally kind of out on that. That's not something that the Pels yeah. need by any means. Um, and, and like you said, Gentry's actually from the Mike D'Antoni coaching tree. So that that's pretty much indicative as to what the Pels would get from D'Antoni um, to throw out one more name that I, I would be interested in and that we've seen a little bit is Wes Unseld Jr. Wes Unseld from the Nuggets coaching staff. He, he heads up the defense for them, and that's not something I'd be upset with either. I think that'd be a decent hire, but once again, I think there are just better names out there to, to grab for the Pels.
1: Yeah, Wes Unseld Jr.
0: Yeah, it,
1: again, it feels like there's better names. Like I almost vision it as you do the... The press release, or you do the introductory press conference, and you say Wes Unsel Jr. is the new head coach for the New Orleans Pelicans. Does that seem right? Like, does that does that feel right? I almost have a feeling about these things where I'm I'm almost never right, Elliot. That's one thing. So (laughs) maybe people want to discount everything I've said in this podcast, but it doesn't feel right. Like I don't know what it is. There's there's something in my chest. There's something in my heart, in my brain that says. I don't see the New Orleans Pelicans press release saying Wes Unsell Jr. as the head coach for the Pelicans. Again, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. Maybe they come back with a completely new staff of Jason Kidd as the head coach, Mark Jackson as the assistant, Wes Unseld as the assistant coach, and they just throw a coaching staff of all the names I don't want out there. I really don't know. But I don't envision Wes Unsell Jr. with the Pelicans.
0: I, I don't see it either. I, I think we've got somebody on our list here that we've talked about tonight that will be the next coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. As to who that is, uh, we each have as good a guess as you do listening. But uh-huh. there are plenty of, of possibilities and there are plenty of good things and some negative things about the names the that we've listed tonight. If you've got some thoughts on that, make sure to hit one of us up or both of us up on Twitter. It's both Elliot Clef and Louis Prejean on twitter lewis this is awesome this might be i think this is going to be our longest podcast we've ever done and uh happy to have you <laughs> been a part of it once again lewis praise of 103.7 the game in lafayette unprompted on saturdays what time are you on on live in, in lafayette 9 to 11
1: a.m central time so sorry to all the west coast people out there if you ever do listen <laughs> uh, but I appreciate everyone that, that listens. Elliot, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. Everyone go follow Elliot. He's doing a lot of great stuff on this podcast. I I, I would say that I, I do say I'm sorry, Elliot, that this is the longest one, but I hope people make it to the end because there's there's so many names out there, and I can't wait for the Pelicans to not hire any of the names that we talked about.
0: Louis, don't say you're sorry. This was fun, man. This is a blast. (laughs) First time getting to work together and doing that too. It's been really fun and I hope to maybe join you on one of your shows here soon. And we're definitely happy to have had you today. Yes, that would be awesome. Thank you, Elliot. Once again, Louis Prejean of 103.7 The Game. Have a good one, Louis. You too. There you have it, Pels fans. Very fun conversation today with Louis Prejean of 103.7 The Game in Lafayette. That dude certainly knows what he's talking about. Done his research for sure as well. So again, if you want to follow Louis on Twitter, it's at Louis Prejean on the Twitter. And while you're over there, make sure to go follow at Elliot Clough on Twitter as well. You're going to be getting a ton of Pelicans content there from myself and from Lewis. While you're here, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make, make sure you subscribe or leave a rate and review. Do it! It really, really, really helps us out. And if you're listening on a different platform, make sure to follow or leave a rate there as well go follow believe on instagram twitter and facebook and you can check out a plethora of their other podcasts on believe.com or just head over to apple podcasts spotify or google play you can check out some more pelicans coverage on sb nation's the bird rights that will include work from former guests like preston ellis ollie cosell chris connor kevin barrios and david grubb once again make sure to check out at elliot Clough on twitter and leave that rate and review on apple Podcast. So, folks, once again, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.